0: Welcome to another edition of AUHSD Future Talks. I'm your host, Superintendent Michael Matsuda of the Anaheim Union High School District. And these talks are all about the future for our kids, our 3,000 students, and what that means. And it's not just our kids, but I think America's next generation of students and the world that they will inherit post-COVID-19. And I think, as the audience knows, it's it's going to be a changed world, a challenging world, and a world also full of opportunities, as many of our guests have shared. And I'm so excited to introduce our, our next guest. He is uh, Dean Richard Aram, the Dean of the School of Education of UC Irvine. And um, Richard has Chris brings an amazing. Lived life to us because um, he's a national expert in the areas of educational reform and social justice. And the reason, you know, social justice—I think that's a that's a big, big issue now nationally. But Richard has that lived experience because many of you might be familiar with his father, who's a very famous, a uh, boxing promoter, Bob Arum. And um, Bob Arum was um, knew people like. Muhammad Ali and many of the uh, really the, the advocates for civil rights in the 60s and 70s. And uh, Richard, as a, as a child, was exposed to a lot of these experiences. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce our guests, Richard Aram, the dean of the UCI School of Education. Richard, what are some of your your uh, your thoughts about growing up in a household with so many civil rights people?
1: Yeah, well, thank you, Superintendent Matsuda. I've so much enjoyed working with you since I've been at UCI, and it's a real pleasure to be on this, uh, have this forum to dis- discuss uh, these issues with you. Uh, so, yeah, growing, growing up as the son of a boxing promoter, you might predict uh, many career outcomes. But uh, uh, to understand kind of where I went with my life, After I graduated college, I went and worked in Oakland, California, in a a local high school there for uh, uh, almost a half dozen years before going back to Berkeley. And the the reason why that happened, I think, looking backwards, is the profound impact that figures like Muhammad Ali and the larger civil rights community had on me when I was a kid. And so I, you know, I had this real unique experience of growing up um, with Ali in our house regularly, uh, growing up uh, literally at his knee, and uh, you know he was such a larger-than-life figure that embodied how one not just pursued excellence in their career and their profession, but how one uh, advanced their uh, commitment. To civil rights to justice and equality for all through their work and, and and again growing up that way really uh convinced me from a very early age i had to choose a path in life to find meaning and purpose in my work and and i've done that through education <laughs>
0: Well, and you've done an amazing, uh, you have an amazing body of work about racial and social stratification in the K-16 world. And uh, what I've noticed about you, Dean uh, Aram, is, you know, you're very unconventional and innovative. And many of the sort of deans of schools of education are focused on teaching future teachers and admins, which is really the main focus, but you've you've extended that. Not only are you focused on excellence with the next generation of teachers and administrators, but also you are working in the university, right, and raising the bar of, of educational excellence. Can you share a little bit about what that work uh, encompasses?
1: Yeah, well, you know, of course, we're so proud of our teacher education program. I know many of them ended up in in An- anaheim unified high school district and hopefully they're making a profound difference on the community but a top education school at a, uh, at a major research university like uci and the uci school of education it's a top 10 public school of education the responsibility is that you go beyond just the ordinary of producing great teacher education candidates but you use educational science to make a difference in the university as a whole, as well as the community around it. And so we've used the tools and techniques of educational science uh, that is careful measurement of students' educational experiences, trajectories, and outcomes to work to improve educational delivery and ensure and advance educational equity at uci and we also are trying to do that with our partner schools uh like catella high school and others other schools and districts in the community so again how do we use educational science how do we use careful measurement not for accountability counterproductive counter counter uh uh, accountability mandates, but how do we use measurement to understand what works for students and how we can help ensure student success for all?
0: You know, I'm going to go deeper with you on that, but I do want to um, give a little more context to where you're coming from because you did publish a uh, a national uh, uh, study. Which received a lot of attention called academically adrift, limited learning on college campuses. You, you studied two thousand kids, well, Superintendent
1: Matsuda. I hate to interrupt you, but my yeah. my great claim to fame as an academic is that study made it into Doonesbury, the famous uh, comic strip, <laughs> one day. And so, a lot of my colleagues at UCI they <laughs> are distinguished scholars, National Academy of Education, National Academy of Science but no one else has a framed Dunesbury cartoon strip on their wall at work.
0: And, and I'll bet the reason why, that because what you found was that after the first two years of college, a significant number of students demonstrated no improvement in a range of skills, including critical thinking, complex reasoning, and writing. Could you share a little bit about, I mean, to me, that's one of the big foundational pieces that led to what you're interested now in, in terms of looking for these measures of this type of what we call soft soft skills.
1: Yeah, right. I think it it was a bit of a wake-up call for higher education as a whole. And again, uh, 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 this organization, the Council of Aid to Education, devised this performance task, a performance task that... Uh, uh, you would want a college graduate to be able to do well when they finished college and uh, uh, were in the workforce. And so the task was to give them something to do that required critical thinking, complex reasoning and writing, a task for them to uh, to complete. And uh, this task we gave to them when they started college, the end of two years, we actually the follow up study and at the end of four years, and what we found, as you said, was large numbers didn't improve on this measure at all. And um, when, we looked, when we looked at this, the surveys, we asked this, what they were doing in college. A equal number told us that they were doing really very little. Uh, the students said they did not have a single class that asked them to more than 20 pages over the course of the semester. And about a third of them said, we don't have a single class asking us to read more than 40 pages per week. And so the academic requirements were minimal that many of the students pursued. Uh, They were not engaged. Many of the hours of studying were, were low. And so for those students, it's not a surprise that they did not uh, develop these important skills that would ensure not just workforce success, but success in navigating the responsibilities of citizenship, democratic participation as graduates. So so it really requires us to think, how do we we think about um, the curriculum and instruction throughout the K-16 system so that students are more academically engaged and developing these necessary skills.
0: Now, it's interesting that you brought up the connection between academic engagement and citizenship. And I know that's another uh, dimension of some of these new metrics you're trying to uh, uh, bring forward. Can you uh, explain uh, about that connection?
1: Yeah, thank you, uh, Superintendent. Uh, You know, if we ever needed a reminder in our society, about the importance and the link between education and citizenship, it's this moment that we're in right now. And uh, uh, a healthy democracy has differences of opinions and disagreements and reason, debate, and discourse. And sometimes even it gets a little heated. But an unhealthy democracy is one where the polarization is so great that there can't even be reasonable discussion around matters of public health and safety and uh, general well-being. And I really worry that the moment we're in today is such a moment, a moment where we have, for a complex set of reasons, uh, have adults in, in society that are not able to, to, think through the complexity of some of the problems we're facing. I'll give you an example of the of com- managing public health while simultaneously bringing the economy back or me- confronting the environmental crisis that rages all around us, literally rages cuz super super matsuda the fires are at our both of our doorsteps as we make as we are called today. And so we need to develop the critical thinking skills, the reasoning skills, the dispositions, the intellectual dispositions around hum- intellectual humility and openness to new information that are going to allow our society to move forward
0: together. So what, is that, what does that look like in a, in a classroom? What is intellectual humility? How would you define that? Well, so,
1: uh, you know, you alluded earlier to the work we're doing at UCI. We partnered with ETS, Educational Testing Service, the leading assessment firm in the country. And we designed these performance tasks to give to our students at UCI to to actually assess some of these these things. So uh, there's an assessment we gave the students on confirmation bias. We ask the students, we give them some information, we ask their opinion on a subject. Then we introduce new information to them and we see whether or not they the new information leads, is, leads them to be willing to change their opinion from their earlier uh, initial uh, statement. And so you can actually assess the extent to which our students open Uh, Do they develop the intellectual habits of mind that allow them to be open to considering new information when it disagrees with our initial judgments to make reasoned decisions? And again, these are the skills necessary for the workforce, but also for democratic citizenship.
0: Yeah, I really like this concept of developing sort of intellectual habits of mind and sense of open inquiry because and, and seeing the world in shades of gray rather than black and white. I think that especially as we go forward in a very uncertain, unstable uh, world ahead for our this Generation Z, I wanted to touch upon another area of interest uh, that you've uh, sort of uh, developed is um, this um, connecting youth, uh, this uh, we're working with um, inner, kind of inner city youth on connecting their behaviors, attitudes and competencies around digital media and learning. Um, um, I think that's another area in terms of like the social justice and trying to, you know, um, connect a lot of these uh, disengaged kids to the world of digital learning and media.
1: Yeah, no, know we are, um, for better and worse, we're aware in digital media yes. Uh, and uh, as educators we have to uh, uh, not ignore that but figure out ways we can harness it to our advantage to uh, educational goals we we want. And so how can we use digital tools to help us connect students to their interests, to interests that align with uh, uh, careers to To bring them into contact with people that share those interests and mentors that can help guide and support them along their way. Uh, you know, we it would be irresponsible for us not to use and take advantage of those digital tools that exist.
0: Yeah, because it is connected to this disintegration of democracy, right? Because young people do not, they're being manipulated by social media and they need to have the skills in um, um, to understand how they're being manipulated, right? And so um, this understanding the difference between, uh, you know, fake and real news, right? For example,
1: right, so, right. So uh, another example for the, from the work we're doing at UCI, we uh, I said we partnered with Educational Testing Service. We also partnered with uh, uh, this researcher at Stanford University, Sam Weinberg he's developed these online civic reasoning uh, tasks. And so we uh, um, have given students when they start at UCI, uh, these assessments of online civic reasoning. Here are some images and text you might confront on Twitter or Facebook. To help us, uh, help, uh, the, the task is, tell us about the reliability and validity of that information. How would you assess that as an individual? And again, we have them do this when they start. And then again, after two years and after four years, because we think as educators, we can teach those skills, competencies and again, habits of mind to help them uh, undertake those those complex
0: tasks. Do you find that students are interested in learning more about how they're being manipulated and with this, uh, this digital world?
1: Yeah, I think I think as citizens, we are all hungry for that, uh, information. Uh, uh, I think we all r- recognize and have a certain unease about the extent to which these invisible digital algorithms continuously feeds us an information flow. That's very hard to make sense of and navigate, navigate and, uh, ascertain the reliability and validity of information. So I think it's I think young people, just like you know uh, older adults, are really wrestling with how to uh, uh, how to deal with the, with the, the complexity of the moment
0: we're in. yeah, I, I think that the the connection between sort of democracy, this digital literacy and manipulation I, we, which is really underscored in a, a documentary that's out called the Social Dilemma. <laughs> Right, um, it, it's
1: it's required watching in our house. Uh, right. uh, uh, my wife saw it first, uh, and uh, <laughs> the, the noted historian of education Joan malcheski She required uh, she required uh, everyone in the household, including their children and myself, to watch that.
0: So, did you hear that, everybody? Uh, Doctor Aaron's wife is recommending this, so we need to watch it. I mean, I I totally double down on that. We had someone, an expert on cybersecurity, that. He also put a plug in for that. So I, I really feel that, yes, this is important. Yeah, I
1: mean, you, you hear really the voices of the, you know, some of the original designers and developers.
0: And they're from Stanford, too. Right. Yeah. They're also yeah. from Stanford. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. so here's here's a question. Right. Because it did in that uh, that uh, documentary, it did touch on this uh, sort of the, the mental health and what what's happening. Because everybody in education is concerned about mental health and social emotional development. Is this another area, another dimension, in terms of the what the things that you're working on and how to connect all of this together? Because I think that the mental health of young people is the real vulnerable place where a lot of these manipulators are coming in and under under uh, undermining democracy.
1: Right. So, uh, uh, yes, in fact, we asked the students at UCI about their media usage as well as their uh, mental health and stress that they're experiencing. And I think um, it would be naive to, um, uh, uh, to, naive to discount the role of social media in uh, um, uh, increasing stress and anxiety Uh, of young people and uh, uh, other individuals that are deeply engaged in in this form of of interaction. But I also want to say at the same time as a sociologist, it's not just the technology, right? We live at a time with increasing economic polarization and marginalization. So people feel uh, increased sense of insecurity about the ability to attain uh, middle-class uh, um, success in our society, those jobs, those bad, uh, outcomes seems increasingly precarious. Uh, I think there's, inc- there's uh, increasing environmental challenges we're fe- facing as a society as well as political challenges. And so the stress is not just the social media, but, it, it, but one thing we know about technology is that it amplifies and so the social media is very effective at amplifying all the underlying stressors that we're encountering today.
0: So Dean Richard Aram of UCI School of Education, what are your p- final parting words to our 30,000 young people as they try to navigate the future?
1: Well, you know, it's it's a challenging time. I would remind them that every time is challenging in its own ways. Uh, Superintendent Matsuda, I know uh you know all the challenges you overcame as as a young person and what you've attained so every generation faces and confronts its, its challenges and uh i have incredible hope in in young people that they will be successful in that journey and that i would encourage them to educate themselves broadly in terms of the competencies dispositions Uh, intellectual dispositions and acts that will help them navigate the complexity of the world uh, going forward. And those are things like we talked about, critical thinking, complex reasoning, openness to new information, intellectual humility. Uh, Some of the things that you've talked about in terms of the five C's that you've promoted at Anaheim, creativity, collaboration, communication, character. Really, I would encourage young people to to embrace that path and that journey, and I'm sure that success uh, will be uh, in your future, and uh, you'll make a contribution to our society as a whole.
0: Wow. Richard Aram, thank you so much for those words of advice to our young people and to all of us on behalf of the district and the board of trustees. Thank you, Dean Richard Aram. Thanks again.